let's talk about something way better. Luke chapter 1 is where we are at this morning. And um, just in, in the event that you're just, just tuning in, you know, if you haven't been around, let me tell you what's going on. We started a Christmas series last Sunday. That was part one. We had part two of that Christmas series this past Wednesday. We were in the sanctuary. Um, if you did not hear that and you'd like to hear that, it will eventually be up on YouTube, hopefully tomorrow. And then, uh, so this is the third part. And um, what we are talking about today or where we are at in the Christmas story. So the first two were prophecies from the Old Testament about the birth of Jesus. Uh, today, we will look at Luke chapter 1 and the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist, Baptist, not Baptist in English. The Baptist, um, and uh, uh, the fact that that it was prophesied to Zacharias, and uh, Elizabeth obviously got that message because she was going to be carrying the baby, and then the birth, and we'll see all of that. And uh, what did, what in the world does that have to do with with the, the the Christmas story? And so we'll see that obviously at the end of our time together today. Um, Luke chapter one, let me show you what we got going on. These are the three main divisions and we will read through much of the first chapter of Luke, but we will not read all of it. We're going to skip over some sections and, uh, because we're trying to focus on Zacharias, Elizabeth and John, their baby John. So, um, but we'll see beyond hope. The second main division will be breaking the silence and then the third main division will be blessing God. And so we'll see those three sections. Now, if you are not aware, Luke, is believe, it is believed that Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And, uh, but he writes the Gospel of Luke. Luke was not uh, there during the ministry of Jesus. He was not a firsthand eyewitness. Uh, but if you read the beginning of his book, the Gospel of Luke, what you find out is that Luke was getting firsthand eyewitness accounts from people, and he was making an account, putting the story in order. And so as we come to Luke, we find a, a very detailed, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't include everything in the story, but we, we get what we do have, the events that are there, they're detailed, and uh, we'll get some dating, not, not that kind of dating, dates, okay? Not that kind of dates either. We'll get some We'll see you here in just a minute. But we will we'll, we'll see that he puts everything in order. It's very nice and neat, and uh, I appreciate that very much. Um, we are actually going to pick it up from verse 5. Verse 5 will be our first main division. Verses 5 through 10, we are calling Beyond Hope. Who was it that was beyond hope, and how do you get to be beyond hope? Uh, not beyond hope, but beyond hope. Okay, and, um, and so it says here in verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Now, right away, this is what I meant by dating. He puts a date there for us. Now, he does not give us an exact numerical date, but what he tells us is that these things happen in the days of Herod, king of Judea. So he tells us where and when. And what he's also indicating by telling us that it was Herod was... He was telling us that, that the, the, the circumstances and the setting, the background for the Christmas story took place during a very dark time in the history of Israel. 
Now, they had lots of dark times in their history. But this is happening at a very bleak time. By telling us that it was Herod indicates several things to us. Herod was a wicked individual. Now, we are trying to read quite a bit and not trying to focus on Herod, so I'll just mention some things and then we'll move on. Herod was known to, and you can read this for yourself, although we do have some accounts in the Bible also, but Herod was known to have murdered several of his family members. Why would he murder several of his family members? He murdered several of his family members because he was afraid, feared for his position. As we're told here, he was king of Judea or he was the ruler in that area. He did not want to lose the power that went along with that position. He did not want to lose the prominence that went along with that position. And so because he was jealous and wanted to keep all of those things, fearing his own family members, he actually had several of them killed. When he discovers that the wise men uh, skipped town, that they didn't return to him, so he doesn't know where Jesus is, baby Jesus, he orders the killing of every male Jewish child, two years old and younger. That's what kind of leader he is. So, so by Luke telling us that, hey, this was in the days of Herod, what he's, what he's immediately telling us is the, the background is bleak, man. Things were not looking good at all. Now, that fits right in with what we've been uh, looking at the first, in our first two sessions, last Sunday and today. Because what we've been doing is we've been highlighting the dark times. And if you imagine a dark uh, uh, backdrop and then, you know, maybe a shiny diamond or a bright pearl against that dark backdrop, that's what we're looking at in this Christmas story. We are looking at the Christmas story, obviously, but what I'm really hoping that all of us, when we're done here in the next couple of weeks with this Christmas series, what I'm hoping is that you and I will come out of it going, man, those were some really bad times. But because of the birth of Jesus, it was a really good time. And so we see that here as Luke opens up his book. Now he says, there was in the days of Herod, uh, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Okay, so now we've got um, a, uh, uh, Herod, the king of Judea, and we've got Zacharias, this priest. And it says that he was of the division of Abijah. So Luke, again, being detailed, gives us some detail about Zacharias. He goes on to say his wife. Now we know about his wife. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, meaning that both Zacharias and his wife were from priestly families. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments, commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, I'm going to focus for a minute on verses 6, 7, and 8. I, I get excited about these. I don't want to spend too much time because they really are not, um, it's not the main focus of our time. But I have to mention this. There's a, there's a huge uh, contrast going on here that you and I want to make note of before we leave. And it is this. You've got Herod, wicked, murderer, paranoid. And then you've got Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were told in verse 6, were both righteous before God. My point is this. 
that the fact that the political climate at the time was horrific, the one that was in charge, the ruler, was a straight-up murderer, and everybody knew it. Because when the wise men come into town, and they're looking for the one that has been born king of the Jews, it said that Herod was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Because if Herod's troubled, someone's going to die. So everybody was afraid of this man. But regardless, or in spite of the fact that the political climate was so very dark, so very wicked, you have this godly couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who, no matter the circumstances, the outward circumstances, they were still committed to the Lord. You and I ought never to think that because outward circumstances are unfavorable, that it gives us the opportunity to act wrongly. These two were still both righteous before God. And in fact, it tells us walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now, blameless doesn't mean that they were perfect. It doesn't mean that they never did anything wrong. They certainly did. They were people. They were human beings. But as far as measuring up around the people around them, they were, you know, they're, they're way up at the top, man. They're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, this is a trip. Those of you that have been here through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of those rules, laws, statutes, you know, eat this, but don't eat that. Uh, sacrifice this, but don't sacrifice that. Uh, do it at this time, but don't do it like that. Uh, you, you know, wash this pot or wash this, you know, instrument or wash yourself. And all those different commandments and statutes and, and, and ordinances that we've all been learning about. Zacharias and Elizabeth were doing all of that. They were doing it all. We're going through it on a week-by-week -week basis and going, man, this is a whole bunch of stuff to try and remember. They were actually living those things out. So it indicates for you and I, having some background about those Old Testament ordinances, we go, man, that's wild. These people were really righteous. So the political climate, the outward circumstances did not affect their commitment to the Lord. You and I want to want to take that as an example. You know what? It really doesn't matter what the outward, you know, outside political climate might be here in America or in California, uh, or or what the the what the, the what the politics might be at school, or what the politics might be at church. Because sometimes even at church, right, run into politics. Those things do not matter as far as my commitment to the Lord. I'm still committed to the Lord. That's where I want to be, like Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now goes on to tell us in verse 7 why they are beyond hope. It says in verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. This gives us our first sub-point. This is the reason that they were beyond hope because they were barren and old. Now, it is it doesn't call them old. Although Zacharias will refer to himself as old, he says, he'll, he'll say in a couple of minutes, I'm an old man. But it's, it's, it's put very nicely. It says they're barren in verse 7, and they were both well advanced in years. That's a nice way of saying old. It's a nice way of saying crusty. That's a nice way of telling us, indicating to us, that they were barren, she was barren, her body medically 
physically could not produce children, but also that they were beyond the years of having kids anyways. In other words, it just wasn't going to happen. They were beyond hope. Nothing that they could do. Done. Their days of possibly having children were done. Now, again, let me mention, regardless of the outward circumstances, the political arena, these two were still committed to the Lord. However, now we find out that in spite of not only the outward circumstances, but the inward circumstances of her body not being able to produce a child did not affect her commitment to the Lord. The fact that she could not have children, and we'll, she, later on she's going to call it a reproach. What is a reproach? Anybody know what a reproach is? A reproach, reproach. Anybody know what that is? A reproach is an embarrassment. It's a shame. And later on, she's going to say, hey, I couldn't have a child, and that was a reproach. It was a shameful thing for me. But the fact that she could not have children, the inward circumstances of her body, the outward circumstances of the political arena, those things did not affect their commitment to the Lord. They stayed true, man. And you and I need to be that way, man. Great example. Great example. Regardless of what's going on outside, Regardless of what's happening in, in, internally, I'm going to trust the Lord. And that's what these two were doing. And then it goes on to tell, it doesn't stop yet. It tells us in verse 8, so it was, that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, again, he stays committed. He's a priest. He's not the high priest, but he's a priest. And it says there in verse 8, that he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division. According to the custom of the priesthood, verse 9, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. I love this guy. He doesn't go, he doesn't tell the, 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 the high priest, like, nah, I'm not doing that. I don't like Herod, and we can't have kids. I'm kind of mad at the Lord. I'm not going to serve. He doesn't do that. He understands that the outward circumstances, the inward circumstances, do not affect his relationship to the Lord. We stay committed. We stay committed. Some of us, we may have bad things happening. We may have had some big family stuff going on. I, 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 don't, I don't understand. Now, I've seen it because of ministry. Fa families get, can just be nasty, man. Treat each other so badly. But that ought not stop us from being committed to the Lord. Because outward circumstances are bad, because maybe the inner workings of my family are bad, that should not stop me from staying committed to the Lord. I ought to be like Zacharias and Elizabeth. Hey, man, it really doesn't matter what's going on outward. doesn't matter what's going on inward. The Lord is still faithful. And I'm going to stay committed. And that's what that, that, that was these two people. And he says, no, he's, he's serving. Verse 8, while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now, you and I, we read this and we just, we read it and we move on. So much detail in here and I got to be careful not to get bogged down on this because we got a lot to read. But listen, it says that his lot fell to burn incense. What does it mean, lot? Well, it means that they, for you and I, what that would equate to today, 
is that essentially they flipped a coin. And it would be like taking two priests and you go, all right, heads or tails. And everybody's done that before. And the, the priest calls, you know, heads or tails, whatever. You flip the coin, catch the coin, boom, look, oh, it's tails. You win. What do you want to do? They would use lots to decide what priest was going to do what task. Now, that may seem weird because it may seem like, well, man, I mean, aren't there like five or ten priests? Like, why are they casting lots? Why do they have to do that? It is actually believed that there was a possibility. It could have been up to 20,000 priests at this time. 20,000. 20,000. No wonder they were casting lots to decide who did what. Now, let me, let me read something to you, a wonderful description here. It says in verse, uh, or, or rather, this coming from verse 9, his lot fell to burn incense. We go, well, burn incense, like, whoopee. Maybe some of you do that in your house, burn incense. It says there were several lots cast to determine who did what at the morning sacrifice. The first lot determined who would cleanse the altar and prepare its fire. The second lot determined who would kill the morning sacrifice and sprinkle the altar, the golden candlestick, and the altar of incense. Some of us are familiar with these terms. The third lot determined who would come and offer incense. This was the most privileged duty. Those who received the first and second lots would repeat their duty at the evening sacrifice. So right now we're talking about the morning sacrifice. Those two people, those two guys would come back in the evening and do the same exact thing. But not so with the third lot. To offer the incense would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So the fact that he was chosen by lot to do this means this is it. This is one shot, man. He's going into the temple in the morning. He's going to burn incense. He's going to pray. That's it. Never do it again for the rest of his life. The other two priests chosen by Lot that morning walked up to the temple on each... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, skipped part. Before dawn, hundreds of worshipers gathered at the temple. The morning sacrifice began when the incense priest walked toward the temple. He would walk through the outer courts... He struck a gong-like instrument known as the magrapha. So as he's walking, he's holding this instrument and bong, bong, bong. Why did he do that? Eastern mysticism? What was that? All, what was that all about? No, it's because they didn't have a PA system. He couldn't go. Attention, worshippers, please focus your attention to the center aisle. He couldn't do that, so he walks through. Bong. Bong, and that would let everybody know all the worshipers that were there before dawn. Now, all of a sudden, oh, the hour of incense is starting. Turn our attention. Everybody quiets down. They're all watching. They're all listening. And so it says that he would he would uh, uh, use this magrapha. At this sound, the Levites and these were temple servants assembled and got ready to lead the gathered people in songs of worship to God. The other two priests chosen by Lot that morning walked up to the temple on each side of the priest, chosen to offer the incense. All three entered the holy place together. Okay, that would be 
the inner court or the, the um, inside of the temple. One priest set burning coals on the golden altar. This is where the incense would go. They put coals on their hot coals so that you sprinkle the incense and then you, you can smell it, okay? One priest set burning coals on the golden altar. The other priest arranged the incense so it was ready to go. Then those two priests left the temple and the incense priest was left all alone in the holy place. In front of him was the golden altar of incense. It was 18 inches square and three feet high. On that small table lay the burning coals with little wisps of smoke rising up hot and ready for the incense. Behind the gold altar was a huge thick curtain and behind that curtain was something called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place where no man could enter except the high priest and that only on the day of atonement. As he faced the golden altar of incense, to his right would be the table of showbread and to his left would be the golden lampstand which provided the only light for the holy place. So as he's standing in there, incense beginning to burn, the smell of it, it's quiet, nobody else is in there. The only light is coming from the lampstand off to his left. They had no electricity. So you can imagine, inside there, it's quiet, it's dark, it's intimate. It says in verse 10 in your Bibles, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Let me read some more to you. It says, when the people saw the two men exit the temple, the worshipers that were there, they knew that the time to offer the incense had come. Those hundreds of people bowed or kneeled before the Lord and spread their hands out in silent prayer. I don't know if you knew this, but this is how the Jews pray. They don't, uh, you know, a lot of us close our, well, we don't really do that anymore, but uh, when you were young, maybe you were taught to, you know, put your hands together. That was because you were a naughty little kid, and if they didn't tell you to keep your hands together, you'd be like touching everything or whatever. So it's, hey, put your hands together. But they would pray with their arms spread out, essentially saying, Lord, I'm praying, and I want you to give me everything you got. Lay it on me. Those hundreds of people bowed or kneeled before the Lord and spread their hands out in silent prayer. They knew that at the moment the incense priest prayed in the holy place, in the very presence of God for the entire nation. There followed several minutes of dead silence in all the temple precincts as Zacharias lingered in prayer in the holy place during this, the most solemn experience of his life. I was in the Philippines one time on a mission trip, and we had gotten one of the little taxi motorcycles to go into town. It's a little motorcycle with a cart behind it so you could fit several people on there. The Filipinos, man, they're so small. They fit people all on the seats, on the top of the thing. I mean, they could be riding down the street on a little motorcycle with like 10, 12 people on the thing. Americans, maybe three or four of us. We're kind of big, kind of big. One of the guys was like, one time we were trying to get a taxi, and he told us he was saying something in Tagalog. And it's like, well, I, I don't understand what he's saying. And we had to get a translator. The translator said, oh, he said you guys are too big. He ain't taking you. Wow. But we were on one of these little taxi cars, and we're going through town. Now, Philippines is insane in the city. You go into the city, man, 
noise, honking. Everybody's honking. Fumes from the vehicles. It's hot. Everybody's honking. They're just driving all crazy. And as we're going through town, all of a sudden, bong, bong, bong. We hear these, this loud bell coming from the Catholic church, huge Catholic church. Everything and everyone literally stopped for a minute. The whole place shut down. We came right in the middle of the street. He just stopped, turned off his motorcycle. And I'm looking around like, what in the world are we in? The twilight zone? Like, what just happened? Are they going to kill us? Like, what are, I don't, what, are, what are they doing? And then I found out it was because when the bell rings for the church, everybody stops to ex observe a, a, a moment of, of prayer and silence, of, of, of reflection. It's like, well, it's, it's pretty cool. It's kind of cool. And then once it was done, you know, broom, start that thing back up, and ah, 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 everybody starts honking again. Here, they know that the two priests have just come out. All the worshipers are watching. They just came out. And they know that Zacharias is inside the incense priest. And they know that he's going to be sprinkling incense on the hot coals. It will begin to, it's, a, it's, a, it's an aroma, it smells good. And they know that he will be spending that time praying for the nation. So everybody's quiet. Everybody's waiting for him to come out. So that they can continue with their worship service. But he's lingering in there. What is he doing? What is, what's, what's, what's happening? Well, we find out in our next main division. Breaking the silence. So it says in verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. You see, as far as Zacharias knows, he's in the temple by himself. There's nobody else in there. He's quietly praying. And then as he's at the altar of incense, the Holy of Holies behind him. It's very solemn. It's a holy moment. All of a sudden, an angel appears standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. Now it's dark, candlelight, quiet. Everybody outside is quiet. And all of a sudden, this angel appears. Several years ago, my house uh, was broken into twice. And the second time that I came home and found my house broken into, it was in shambles, man. I mean, just stuff turned over, stuff broken. And I was, I remember I was sitting on the couch. We called the police, waiting on the police, sitting on the couch. Don't touch anything. Let's wait till the police get here. And I uh, got a phone call. It was actually an alarm company. And they said, hey, we're going to be in your neighborhood on such and such a day this week. We'd love to stop and talk to you about an alarm. I said, perfect. Stop by. I need an alarm. And I bought an alarm. They came and they hooked it all up. Sometime after that, I was, it was early morning. I'm laying in, we're all laying in bed. And I was awakened. I mean, it, it was morning, okay? But I was, I was awakened by the sound of my alarm siren going off. They put the siren in the attic. So the alarm all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, I went from sleeping to running down my hallway. I do not remember waking up. I do not remember getting out of bed. I do not remember leaving my room. All I know is 
and the next thing I knew, I was in the hallway running toward the front room. In my mind, somebody has just broken into my house and I am going to kill him or them, whoever's in here, I'm gonna kill them. I took off running, I didn't grab the bat, I didn't grab a knife. Pastor Chris, in his pajama shorts, running down the hallway. No shirt, running down the hallway. And as I'm running down the hallway, man, I just, as I'm, I'm, I'm booking it, my, my house is small, okay? It's not, I didn't, it's just a few steps and I'm in the front room. But as I'm running, my daughter Chloe went, was sprinting past me, man. She had curly hair, and I just remember it was like all wild, you know. She's running for her life. I get to the front room, and and I'm just thinking, whoever's in here, I'm I am going to I'm going to with my own hands pull their limbs off. I'm just I'm going to kill somebody with my own hands. And I got to the front room. And the adrenaline, man, and I just woke up. You know, there, did you know that there's a law in the Old Testament that if you startle someone out of their sleep and they wake up and kill you, that they cannot be convicted for wrongdoing. It's your fault for waking them up. It is. It's in there. I, by the time I got to the front room, my heart was like, ah! And I got to the front room like the, I'm, I'm wearing shorts. And it's like, I get to the front room and I go like this. And I don't see anybody. So then I take a few steps off to my left. Again, we got a small house. It goes a little galley kitchen. And then, and then the back room It's small. So then I'm like, they're in the back room. So I run, into, I run by, past the kitchen and I get to the back room. I get to, and it's like, and then I, it's like, there's nobody in here. There's nobody in here. It's like. The, the, it was false alarms. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what happened. And I went to the keypad and, you know, beep, 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 you know, shut the thing off. I went back to my bed. I literally collapsed in my bed. Like, boom, my wife was in the bed. Like, you know, what's, what's, what's going on? It's like, oh, I don't know. There's nobody in here. And my chest was just, oh, oh, oh. I thought I was going to have a heart attack, man. And then as I'm laying there and it's like, wait a minute. Now I'm starting to remember, like, why did Chloe go running past me? And she was coming from the front room. And it's like, that little knucklehead opened the front door. She was probably four or five, little. She opened the front door and set the alarm off. And it's like, oh man, this girl. That was just one of many, okay, one of many. But then I'm laying there, still trying to like, oh, you know, breathe. And then I'm thinking, but why would she open the front door? And then I remembered the little girl, the little boy from across the street. They would come over in the morning, early, hang out, and then we would give them a ride to school. It's like she opened the door because they're, they're at the front door. So I jump up, throw a shirt on. I get to the front door, open the door. It's two little kids standing in my front door like this. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. They rang the doorbell. Chloe opened the door, all excited to see him. She slammed the door in their face and took off running. 
And then I came out like, <laughs> and and now now I get back out there and they're just standing there like, oh, they, I mean, what are they? You know, they they got nowhere to go, man. Mom mom owned, owned a donut shop and she left early and she's like, you guys go, you know, go. And uh, I, I'm they're just standing there like, oh, we don't know what happened. And it's like, oh my goodness, open the door, let them in. It's like, oh, I'm I'm so sorry. I don't, you know, my family's crazy. So Zacharias, I feel you, man. Standing, you think you're all alone. Everything's fine. Incense. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Incense. Okay, let's pray. All of a sudden, he looks up, and there's somebody standing there. This, for the life of me. It says in verse 13, rather verse 12, and when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. Zacharias, I feel you. And fear fell upon him. I know what that feels like. And in verse 13, let me, let me, I'm going to read this, this whole stretch to you. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That is a lot to lay on a man at dawn when he thought he was in the temple by himself. And the first, thing, the first thing this angel does, it says, don't be afraid, Zacharias. Are you kidding me? That's all I am, is afraid. Are you kidding me? When I was in the Philippines on that same trip, we crashed in one of the uh, jeepneys. I was sitting in the back. They didn't have window, or they didn't have glass, they just had cutouts, these, these long cutouts. And I'm sitting in there, and I've got my arm around uh, one of the local guys on this side, and my, my arm's sitting outside of the window, and on this side too. And we're driving, and then all of a sudden, we heard an explosion. Okay, so there's two seats in front, and then the rest is bench seating. So the front of the vehicle's over here, and I'm, I'm sitting on one of the bench seats. And we're driving, and we're just talking, whatever, on the way to the beach, I guess, is where we were going. I don't even know where we were going. And then... We hear an explosion, and I hear one of the ladies, she starts to go, Jesus, 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 and the next thing I know, I'm on my back, and my arm, this, my right arm, got caught outside of the vehicle in between, we're now on the side of the vehicle, and we're still moving, sliding across the road, and my arm got stuck because it was outside, so the ground yanked it outside, and it's pulling on my arm. And I remember thinking, I mean, it only lasted a few long seconds, but I remember thinking, no, it's going to rip my arm off. I, I thought it's going to rip my arm off. And it's, it's dragging on the outside of the vehicle. And then all of a sudden, boom, we hit something and everybody flies forward. My arm gets yanked out and we all ended up in the corner and people bleeding and stuff. And uh, I got out and it's like, I was like, I got out of the vehicle. We're on the side of the road now. And I get out of the vehicle. I remember I got out like this, like. I can, I'm looking at my arm like, I cannot believe I still have an arm. This is crazy. And we went to the hospital, and uh, I, got, I have a little scar right here, a little tiny scar. That's all I got. 
you would look at it and go, come on, that story is not real. All I, I ended up with a little tiny scar. I called my wife because she's still in the United States and I thought if she sees this on social media, you know what I mean? Like she's gonna freak out. It crashed. So I called her. I said the wrong thing. She answered the phone, it's the middle of the night here. She answers the phone, hello? Now I knew that when she heard my voice, she's gonna think it's the middle of the night, something's wrong. So the first thing I said to her was, hey, I'm not dead. She's thinking in that, in the few little minute, you know, those little moments, she hears I'm not dead. And she's thinking, yeah, but your body's cut in half or you're in a pit or you're lost at sea or you're all these things run through her mind. It was the wrong thing to say. I understand. The angel shows up. Zacharias freaks out. And what does the angel say? Do not be afraid, Zacharias. I don't know why, why doesn't he just give him a moment like, hey, I know you're freaking out. I'll give you a moment. Go ahead. I'm an angel. I'll tell you what's going on, but go ahead and freak out for a minute. He just says, don't, don't be afraid. And then he immediately launches into this prophecy concerning him and his wife and this son that they're going to have named John. Did you notice that? He told him, your, your, uh, your, your prayer is heard. He said that in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And then he, so there's no, there's no, you know, husband and wife sitting down to go, well, what name would you like, honey? Well, yeah, I don't like that name. Well, let's pick a different name. There's none of that. The angel says, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call him John. And then he goes on to tell him about John, man, all these incredible things. And, and, and I'll sum it up for you because we're going to move on. But essentially what he's telling him is John is going to be a life changer. He's going to do this and this and this and this. And he's going to be working in the power of the Lord. He says, he says in the, he's going to come in the power and the spirit of Elijah in verse 17. And he's going to turn things upside down. And what he's going to be doing is, he's going to be, well, you know what, actually, I'll tell you that in a minute. But understand that what happens here when the angel, and, and, he, and he says there that this is an answer to prayer. He tells, he tells Zacharias that, you, you, I, the, your prayer has been heard. But here's what you and I miss when we just go through the story real fast. When the angel spoke and said, do not be afraid, Zacharias. It broke 400 years of silence. You go, what are you talking about? 400 years of silence, what do you mean? For 400 years, there had not been a recorded message. By recorded, I mean it hadn't been written down. There had been no official recorded message from God. For 400 years, they had not heard any new prophecies, nothing new from the Lord. They had the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the prophets, the minor prophets, poetic books, those different things, but there was nothing new. So when the angel shows up inside of the temple and says, do not be afraid, 400 years of silence had been broken. And they broke it. The angel broke it by saying, hey, you're receiving an answer to your prayer. 
You've been praying for a kid? Got a kid for you. But I think that Zacharias had been praying for Messiah also. And we'll see that as we move on. Beginning at verse 18, we see that Zacharias is rebuked for unbelief. Verses 18 to 25. This is another funny part. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And my wife is well advanced in years. You like how he did? I like Zacharias. He said, listen, I'm too old to have kids. And my wife, she's, well, she's well advanced in years. He says, what he's saying is, what he is saying to the angel is, I do not believe you. We're too old. We can't have kids. Angel, you might have got the wrong address. Maybe you were supposed to come tomorrow. Maybe you were supposed to come yesterday. We're too old. This can't happen. That's essentially what Zacharias is saying. And I love the angel's reply, verse 19. Because, because he asked a question, how shall I know this? Verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these, these glad tidings. I think that's hilarious. Zacharias sees an angel. He must know that it's an angel because he just appeared out of nowhere. And then he says, mm, it's a good story, but how's it really going to happen? And I love the angel's response. The angel goes, I'm Gabriel. As if to say, uh, I'm an angel. <laughs> this is obviously a miraculous moment. This is not ordinary. So why would you not believe me? Like, I'm an angel. I'm standing right here. That's what I see in his response. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you to bring these glad tidings. He says in verse 20, but behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So because, because he doubted, the angel took away his power of speech. So it was in verse 23, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. You see, today, in today's society, oftentimes having kids is seen as a that's inconvenient, man. I'm trying to live that Instagram life. Like, I'm trying to travel to Greece and be in Rome, and I'm trying to be in Australia, and I'm trying to be at the uh, red carpet at the award show, and I'm trying to be at this concert, and I'm trying to see Yeezy over here, and I'm trying to go, you know, over here to Hollywood, I'm trying to go to Vegas, and I'm trying to do all this traveling. And if I have kids, please, they get in the way. They get in the way. How are you going to go to Ulta with all those kids? Come on. Who's got time for that? But understand that in the eyes of the Lord, kids are a blessing. And this woman had been feeling reproach, embarrassment, shame, because she couldn't have kids. And she says there in verse 25, you took away my reproach among people. Now skip to verse 57. I told you that we would skip to continue the story. There's a visit from Mary, but we're not going to look at that right now. Verse 57, 
Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. Just like the angel said, when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now, we see Zacharias receiving an answer to prayer. We saw him being rebuked for unbelief. Now we see, beginning in verse 59, and this will take us down to verse 66, the restoration of his speech. The ability to speak. He gets it back. So it was on the eighth day. Now this is nine months later. The baby's now born. On the eighth day, they went to they, they came to circumcise the child. You do it on the eighth day because that on the eighth day is when the blood coagulates on its own. Nowadays, they're born, boom, they inject you, and your blood immediately begins to coagulate or thicken. Back then, your blood didn't coagulate for eight days. So if you got cut, there was a possibility of bleeding to death because your blood wasn't thick. It would just keep on bleeding. So they waited eight, eight days. It says, so on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. So it seems that when they baptized or when they circumcised the baby, they then would officially name the baby and they were going to name him Zacharias. But his mother, Elizabeth, verse 60, answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who was called by this name. In other words, John, that's not, that's not a family, that's not your family name. Now, some of you, you, some of you might be named after your grandparents or after an aunt or somebody. Or maybe you got your mom or your dad's name. It's a family name. They're thinking the same thing. John, that's not, that's not your family name. So in verse 62, they made signs to his father what he would have, have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet. Why did he ask for a writing tablet? Because he can't speak. Why can he not speak? Because he doubted God's message. Mm. And so it says in verse 63, and he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote saying his, four words, his name is John. So they all marveled. What? Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose, and he spoke praising God. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke praising God. It has been nine months since this man has been able to talk. Nine months. Nine months. That might have been a blessing for his wife, huh? She probably like, like just fed him broccoli all nine months, and he couldn't complain about it. Couldn't say anything. Couldn't say anything. Had no ability to speak. Nine months. And nine months later, he takes his writing tablet. His name is John. Shows it to everybody. Everybody went, oh, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was open, his tongue was loosed. And what's the first thing he said in verse 63? Verse 64, and he spoke and he said, Go Raiders. Is that what he said? Go, lawyers. What do he say? Can I have a glass of water? Elizabeth, I really like that mac and cheese you made last week. What's the first thing he did? It says that he spoke praising God. That's the very first thing. He didn't say, oh, what a beautiful baby boy. 
He didn't say, oh, thank you all so much for coming. Thank you for bringing the, the macaroni salad. The very first thing he does is he opened his mouth, praising God. Why did he lose his ability to speak in the first place? Because he doubted. Because doubt and fear is always going to keep you from speaking up. Zacharias, nine months prior to this, was in the temple, experienced the greatest event of his life. And because he doubted, he couldn't tell anybody about it, even if he wanted to. Could not tell one person about what God had done. Doubt and fear are always going to do that to you and I. We've got, we've got the, generally speaking, we've got the entire world, generally speaking, celebrating the birth of Jesus right now. All around the world, Christmas happens. Certainly all around us. Everybody's making their plans, Christmas parties going on, and church, and you got your gifts in mind, and all the different things. We have a month of opportunities to talk to people about the reason for the season. And yet, so often, you and I, because of doubt and because of fear, lose our ability to speak, to tell other people about Jesus. Zacharias lost his ability to speak. He could not tell anybody what he had seen in that temple. At least, not adequately, he could not describe it. And the first moment after nine months and eight days, the first opportunity that he gets to speak, he says, man, I'm not wasting another moment. And the first thing he does is he immediately begins to praise God for all of this. You and I have an opportunity right now to talk to family and friends and to say, oh, Christmas, yeah, you like the decoration? Yeah, we put that all up, man. I mean, why do we bring fake plants inside of our house? And why, pray tell me, do we put a tree up? I don't know. I love it. I don't know why we do that. I love it. And when someone goes, oh, man, those are beautiful decorations we go yeah man put it up because we're celebrating jesus not yeah it reminds me of frosty the snowman <laughs> or oh christmas tree oh christmas tree, oh, oh, oh tenenbaum we have an opportunity to go nah we're decorating because we're, we're going to celebrate jesus and we have an opportunity to point others to jesus what we want to do is make sure that our doubt, our fear, man, doesn't shut us up. We want every opportunity that we can get to praise God. That's where Zacharias is at now. He learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. He's like, I'm not shutting up anymore. Then fear came on all who, who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, we will go through this fast, beginning at verse 67 through 80. We've got to get you out of here in about five minutes. It says in verses 16, uh, 67 through 80, 
he's blessing God. Look at verse 67. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. There it is, blessing God. But what is he blessing God for? I'm so glad that you asked. Verse 68, for he has visited and redeemed his people. In other words, he's come to our rescue. And has raised up a horn of salvation. That's a, the horn of salvation is a picture of strength. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. You know what that is? That's a reference to Messiah. So what he's doing here is he's blessing God for Jesus. Jesus is still six months inside of his mother's womb. He's been there for three months, six more months after this. He's got six more months. But what Zacharias recognizes is that the visit from Gabriel the angel telling him that he was going to have John, that he was going to be this forerunner, he understands my baby has been born. That means that the Messiah is coming. This is a promise. The fact that the baby John has been born means that the Messiah is on his way. And that's what he's blessing God for. Verse 69, verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, he, he promised it a long time ago, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And then, finally, in verses 76 through 80, he blesses God for John, his own son. Look at verse 76. And you, child, now he looks at his son. And he says, will be called the prophet of the highest. Why? For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, God in flesh, to give light to those who sit in darkness. What's the, the, the name of our entire series? True light. Look at verse 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child, that's John, grew became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So, so is, uh, uh, Zacharias understood that his son, now he's blessing God because he goes, hey, Jesus is on his way. And then he turns toward his son. He goes, John, he's a little baby, eight, eight days old. He goes, hey, you're going to lead the way. You're going to prepare everybody for Jesus. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. He was six months older than his cousin Jesus. And he was preparing, he's out there baptizing for the remission of sins, telling everybody, hey, the kingdom of God is coming. You gotta get ready. And then one day, he's standing out there baptizing, talking to some of his students, and he looks over, and sees Jesus walking, and he tells his students, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John going, hey, he did his job. He's like, hey, you don't need to pay attention to me anymore. That's the man you wanna be following. Follow him. And John the Baptist faded off the scene, and Jesus stepped forward into the limelight. Why is this important? Because it was an introduction to Jesus. 
It was an introduction. It was a, it's an integral part of the Christmas story because the fact that John the Baptist was in fact born is proof, another proof, that Jesus was coming. And that is fantastic news. And so we want to prepare our hearts, man, as we head toward the 25th of December. Whether you open your gifts at midnight or you're a morning family, wherever you might be, we want to prepare our hearts and go, you know what? I want to prepare my heart, man, to really celebrate. We've got a wonderful opportunity. We'll have church on Christmas Eve here. We'll be here in the, in the high school room on the Sunday morning, and then we'll come back Sunday night for Christmas Eve service, right? We'll come back and we'll celebrate and go, nah, man, I, 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 I love Jesus. I want to celebrate him. Father, thank you so much, and we are praying.